0: You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. So, yeah, Brian had shoulder surgery. And if you've never had shoulder surgery, and I never have, but my wife did, so I got a chance to observe what that is like. It is no fun whatsoever. The recovery process is is really, really a long, long, painful uh grind i guess would be a good word to put to it and uh, so he is doing that now and we just didn't think it'd be a good idea to have a have a dopey grump uh preaching to us on pain medicine today so here i am and uh, guess what i broke a tooth last week called up my dentist he says i can get you in monday and I said, all right, fine. And uh, yesterday, my tooth decided to turn into a full-on nuclear holocaust in the side of my face. So I went to the emergency room last night, and guess what they did? They pumped me full of pain medicine.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, hey, there we go. That's, so we'll see how this. I might just doze off in the middle of the sermon. We'll just, uh, we'll just see what happens here. But we are in Luke chapter 19 today. So if you have a Bible, uh, open up that Bible. If you don't have one, find one. Uh, and, uh, or, you know, get acquainted with your neighbor and look over their shoulder while, while we look at this. Cause I want you to see the, the Word of God, not just hear what I'm saying about the Word of God. Uh, it's a familiar story about, uh, Jesus and a wee little man named Zacchaeus. Uh, some of you are probably already singing the song now that grew up with that Sunday school song about Zacchaeus, but we're going to look at that today, and the reason we're doing that is because we are taking some time to uh, to talk about what Brian calls a meaty face, because we're talking about the incarnation, uh, God taking on human flesh and coming to us. That's part of what we celebrate at Christmas time, and this series will lead right into the whole Christmas message and, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, the word incarnation it, it means in meat, literally. That's that's how it's translated. And so we gotta kinda come to terms with this idea. It's a strange idea, but this this very unique idea of of a holy, massive God, bigger than this whole universe, somehow veiling himself in human flesh, containing himself in human flesh, so that he can make himself known to us, but also to accomplish his divine purposes and so we're looking at those purposes of christ taking on flesh and coming to us and we're going to see the second one today in uh in luke 17 or luke 19 the first one was uh found in matthew where we see jesus fulfilling the law all right so uh before i read this text i gotta ask a question and this is a question that i'm really eager to hear some of the answers to Uh, so be prepared to think about how you might respond to this. But has there ever been a time where you were completely, totally, did not know where you were lost? Okay? (laughs) right. So, uh, if you can think of a time, I'd like to have somebody share with us what that was about, okay?
1: Uh, I went to China. Not this past summer, but the summer before that. Okay. And I went alone, and I had no clue where I was going. And at some point, I was in Xi'an, and I was like, I'm going to go see the Terracotta Warriors or something. And I got on the metro, and the metro didn't even come close to letting me off near the Terracotta Warriors. So I got off at the last stop possible, and I got out, and I just started walking around. And you can't use Google out there. You know, Google's kinda of blocked by China and yeah. everything. Yeah. And uh, so I just started walking and soon enough it's starting to get dark and I looked around and I was like, I have no clue where I am and how I'm gonna get back. And I'm in a very foreign country. And if I was calling my parents right now they'd be really mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was it was pretty frightening. I I somehow ended up in like a weird swampy area which I didn't think existed in China and I saw some interesting things. Lots of snails on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> I, I ended up at some really weird place, but Kay. it was really interesting.
0: Somehow you got out of it, because here you are today. I turned
1: on my data plan, and I used Google I was in China, and I found my way back to the metro. Okay. I at least oriented myself in the right direction to start walking. Okay, there you, go. you yeah. oriented
0: yourself, got in the right direction. Otherwise, you just had to walk around a very big country looking for a lot of statues. Yes, you know? huge. So, yeah. Yeah. That was huge. Yeah, that was an
1: interesting thing. Bullet train is the only way to get there. Okay,
0: year. all right. Well, good on you because uh, that would scare me to death going into a foreign country by myself, trying to find myself uh, my way around because I'm the kind of guy, when I'm outdoors, I know where I'm at. But as soon as I go indoors and I turn one corner... I don't know where I am. (laughs) So good for you on that. Somebody else. uh, A time that you were... uh, Okay, Jonas, let's hear this. I
1: slept in the car once, and I still don't know where I ended
0: up. To this day. (laughs) This may not even be your family you're going home (laughs) to Yeah, I understand that feeling, you know, traveling, you zone out for a while, and then when you come back, it's like, how did I get here, where am I, that kind of thing. Okay, maybe a couple more. A time that you were lost. Up.
1: Yeah, I was uh, trying to make the land and we to the aircraft carrier. And I tried several times, and I never did uh, get caught in the care. So uh, I didn't know where I was, but I finally figured it out, and I went to, uh, to uh, excuse me, uh, I went to land and I ran out
0: of fuel at the end of the runway. Oof. Oof. Okay, so you, you had to land on an aircraft carrier out in the middle of a great big ocean. Yeah. That's a pretty tiny target.
1: I thought it was my problem, but actually they figured it out. It was a tail hook wasn't
0: working. Okay. So I went uh, at the Air Force Base. Alright. Okay. Whew. That was close. Oh, done. I uh, went down to Kentucky's seminary for the very first time. I by myself and thought uh, I'd take a shortcut when I got into Kentucky, not realizing that their, their uh, country roads are a lot different than the North Dakota country roads. And uh, got got very, very lost. Okay, all right. But the loss was found, and now here you are today with us. Okay, so I think probably a lot of us can... Think of a time where you, suddenly you realized you were lost. I, I can remember my first time, and I can remember my worst time. Uh, my first time, I was a wee little lad, uh, probably three years old, shopping with my mom, instantly bored, because uh, she was clothes shopping. And you know those circular clothes racks kind of things? I mean, those, those become caves and kingdoms and portals to other dimensions that must be explored, and I crawled into one of those, and when I... Whoa. When I came out, um, mom wasn't there. <laughs> and uh and you know, being little and that sort of thing, so I'm walking around looking for mom and then I I, I saw her. Well actually I just saw the, the this this portion of a woman and I thought it was my mom's legs and so I just followed those legs until we got to a different part of the store and then she turned around and looked down at me like, Who are you, you little creep? <laughs> and I'm like, Ah, you're yeah, not my mom and and I remember the the instant terror that, that kind of settled in. So is that a common uh, emotion when you were lost, some of you? Did you have that sense of terror, that sense of panic, you know, that sense of, oh, no, what's going to happen now? The worst time that I got lost was when I was a firefighter, and uh, I, 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 I did both structural and wildland firefighting. And I was on a strike team for a wildland uh, crew, and they sent me down to one of the biggest fires I'd ever been in, down... Uh, near Edgemont at a place called Hell's Canyon. Okay, a canyon's on fire, and it's in Hell's Canyon. Not really the place you want to go, but uh, that's where we were. I was on a three-man crew, and our job was to hold the line. If the fire jumped that that particular area, we were to strike it, hit it hard, and hold it until either a caterpillar or a uh, a, a hand crew could come in and take over. All right. So that's what we were doing. Three guys. We were digging about a hundred yards worth of line. That's very exhausting, all hand to work. We stretched down a line from our truck, uh, so that you have water there, but you don't use water on uh on forest fires. You just have that there for specific purposes and hot spots. And uh and and the caterpillars came crashing through the trees towards us and we're like so relieved, we're like, Oh, thank you. And then he turned around and left. <laughs> So we called our sector boss, go, what's, where'd that D8 go? He was supposed to take over here. And they went, oh, well, he can't be there because he doesn't have a canopy over, over him. And you can't go into the timber without a canopy. So don't worry, we're sending you a brand new fresh crew from Colorado. They just landed. They just arrived here. They're gonna, they're gonna truck up to you and then they're gonna take over. We're like, okay, great. So they said, just keep digging, hold the line. We're like, all right. So we're just digging away, digging away and we're just getting exhausted. And, uh, and, and we're like, Did these guys from Colorado get lost? You know, I I know the Black Hills isn't the same, but they're not as big. You'd think it'd be easier for them to find us. And so we we radioed our sector boss and said, where's the hand, where's this Colorado hand crew at? And they went, uh, who is this? And we told him, oh, you guys, that's right, they forgot about us out there. And he said, you need to get out of there. And we're like, why? Because the fire has jumped the line below you and it's now burning up the hill behind you and it's in the trees. Get out of there now. Well, you don't have to tell us twice, you know. <laughs> so, we had three sections of hose. Uh, the other two guys got the first two sections closest to the truck. I got the last section away from the truck and I was rolling it up and all of a sudden the smoke just went <clears throat> right down on top of me. Now this is a, this is a really interesting thing. When, when, when the smoke settles in the sun just starts bouncing off of everything so the shadows actually kind of move on you and suddenly i just was absolutely disoriented i looked around me and i kind of didn't even know where uphill and downhill was at that point and i did not know which way to go to get to the truck just it was gone what was once there was just gone and fire's coming and so i got my my hand tools and i got this this length of hose that i rolled up and i'm carrying and i'm standing there wondering which direction should i go and just then this great big old snag just pops, it's burning, and I look up and it's fallen my way. I mean, it's all the other, you look at the degree of a compass, 360 degrees, it had to pick that degree <laughs> where I was standing. And, and so I just, I did. I panicked, I dove and I got out of its way and when I came up it was worse because now I've rolled around and i I'm just totally discombobulated. I got my, my, my hose back together and, and my hand tools and I could hear the trees just popping like howitzers as they're, as they're crowning and I'm thinking, well this is it, you know. And so I reached for my shake and bake blanket, that's the emergency fire shelter, and realized I don't have one because I spent most of my time when I should have been getting the blanket that morning, I was grabbing an extra lunch. (laughs) You know, priorities. Yeah, and so I'm thinking to myself, you know, and yeah, pun intended. I'm toast. This this is not where I want to be right now. And I had no other recourse uh, other than to pray. And I'm, I was a baby, brand new Christian about that time, and and uh, in the middle of my panic, I realized the only thing I can do is is tell God I'm in a bad situation here. I think He knows that already, but uh, ask Him how to get out of the situation. <laughs> When I got done praying, I don't know how to explain it other than just a sense of calm came upon me, and I felt like I should walk that direction. So I took off walking that direction, and I noticed I was going uphill as I was going that direction, and then I came out of the tree line and looked over. About 100 yards away was the fire truck, our little four-wheel drive unit that we had there. I ran the fastest 100-yard dash you could ever imagine while carrying tools got to the truck and uh John and Daryl were not at the truck which now made me feel lost again because they went up ahead of me well they were looking for me <laughs> so I got on the radio on the truck and I said hey guys guess where I am <laughs> and uh, let's go I don't want to be here anymore and so they weren't very far away they came trucking out of the trees and we jumped into the truck and we backed out and just as we were swinging around to pull out of there that entire tree line just blew up and it was, it was terrifying. And even as I tell this story, it's terrifying. Worst time I can remember of uh, being utterly and completely lost. You not only panic, but you feel helpless. You feel hopeless. Uh, you feel like there's absolutely no way out. And, uh, that's the condition of a fellow that we're gonna look at in the story of Luke chapter 19. So if you would turn there, uh, we'll read through it. And as we read through it, there's, there's some things I'd like you to pay attention to. Um, basically, there are three key players in this story. There is Jesus. There's Zach, Zacchaeus, which is short for Zechariah. And then there's them, or they, the crowd, the people that, that were watching and being a part of this, this situation. Okay, here we go. He, that's Jesus, he entered Jericho... for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone into the guest to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And, and, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And it's in that last statement, verse 10 there, that we get the second purpose that we're looking at of why did Jesus come? He just answered it straightforward for us. He came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came as a search and rescue team. And, and, and his job was to find those who were perishing and to get them out of their dire circumstances. He saw Zacchaeus as one of those men. Now there's three important Greek words that, uh, that show up in, in this text. Actually in that, that one verse there. Uh, there's the word zitu, zozo, and apollamy. And Zito is the Greek word for seek. And and the idea behind that is a very diligent search. Okay? Have you ever lost something precious to you? Yeah, you, know, you know, you know. Oh, forget it. You know, no. Where is that thing? I got to find that thing or that child or whatever it might be. You know, <laughs> at that point, well, yeah, it happened. I left a kid behind once, but you know, you just you you search and you're not going to give up until you find it. And that's the concept here. I will not give up until I find it. And then there's the Greek word for save, which is zoso, and that means to rescue somebody from the worst possible situation that they that, that they could be in. That I means to jump in there and, and to go to them because they, they can't get out. I just read a news article last week about two Australian kayakers, uh, sea kayakers. They were out fishing and they got separated from their boat out there bobbing around. All of a sudden, you know, they looked around and said, no boat on the horizon. The guys on the boat are like, no kayaks on the horizon. And so the guys in the kayaks, they did what, what you would normally do and it's like paddle like crazy. You know, even though they didn't know which direction to go, they just started paddling like crazy, hoping that they would they would somehow find the boat. But they ended up going away from the boat. So the boat said, "Look, we lost two kayakers." They they called up the Australian Search and Rescue uh, agency, and they sent out a couple of helicopters to find these guys. Now, what was really cool about this this news story, as I read it, they included a video. And so here's one of the guys he's got a he's got a camera on he's got his phone or whatever on his boat it's bobbing around out there in the waves and it looks pretty scary because there's nothing but his buddy on the horizon Right? And the helicopter goes buzzing along, but it was too far away, and they're splashing with their oars, their paddles, and everything, but the, the helicopter didn't see it and kept going, and now they're thinking, oh, because they didn't know about the second helicopter. They're, they're like, we're in trouble. And then the guy with the camera, all of a sudden, his camera goes down into the water, and you see a whole bunch of great white sharks circling underneath them. Okay? That's lost. <laughs> Huh. That's being in probably the worst circumstance that, that a person can be in at that point. Cause, and they realized it. They're like, oh, this is not good. We're out here splashing around like a bunch of helpless animals, hoping something's going to see us. And now we've attracted uh, a school of great whites. Uh, and they're ready to have a potluck on us. Well, the second helicopter came and got them. I won't leave you in suspense. Found them, got them out of there in time, and, and everybody's okay. But what a scary moment. okay? And, and that's the time when you go, man, I'm glad there are search and rescue teams. I'm really thankful that there are people that do that. My job as a firefighter was search and rescue. And and in in a structure fire, I was the interior attack guy, you know, because I kind of like that stuff. (laughs) And my job was if there was someone trapped in there, I was supposed to find them and get them out. Never once during my time as a firefighter did I have to do that. The only thing I ever found and rescued was a cat. And I'm allergic to cats, so uh, I kind of thought about just leaving him there for minute. But it was just a kitten, you know. It was a kitten, and I couldn't leave him there. So, you know, I got this and I tucked him into my, into my coat and, you know, did care of things. Came out, found the owner of the house. I said, got your cat. He goes, that's not my cat. <laughs> well, he was living in your house. That's not my cat. <laughs> you know, so, so the cat ended up coming home with me. So, uh, anyway, yeah, there's my great hero story. Saved cat. Yay. Oh. Oh. Anyway, here's Jesus, and, and he's the search and rescue team. And Zacchaeus, he's the guy that's in a very, very difficult circumstance. He's stuck, and he can't get out of it. Now, you might ask, well, what was Zacchaeus' circumstance? Well, do you remember what the Scripture told us about him, other than he was a wee little man? He was a tax collector, all right? <laughs> Nobody. Likes the tax collector, all right. He's, that's just the worst job in the world. I would not want to be a tax collector. I would rather be a flowery flower delivery person. All right, everybody's happy to get flowers, and they're glad to see you show up. Tax guy shows up, not so much. But in this day and in this culture, under the Roman Empire, the tax collector was absolutely the worst individual in society. He was the scum of scum nobody liked the tax collector and there were a couple of reasons for it number 1 is he collected taxes okay and he had a lot of motivation to collect taxes because you see as a tax collector he had a province that he was to to oversee and what he did is he paid the emperor the tax and then he went out and collected to recoup his losses that's that's how motivated they were. Instead of, hey, go get the taxes and bring it to us, it's like, no, you supply the money, and then we'll leave it up to you to, to, to recoup. Now, every tax gatherer in Israel was hated because they not only came after the the tax, they would take a little extra on top for themselves. They would cheat people. Now that's not the main reason they were hated, the, the primary reason that they were hated is because they were Israelites working for Rome, oppressing Israelites. Ew. Yeah, okay, now right away we're like, Ugh. let's not invite him to the party. <laughs> that's Zacchaeus. Okay, he was a tax collector. Not only was he a tax collector, he was something else. Did you notice it in the text? Yeah, he was rich, okay, yeah. He's good at climbing trees. At climbing trees. <laughs> he was short, he was the chief tax collector. He was the guy in charge of all the other dirty, rotten scoundrels. So that made him the worst of the worst of the worst. Zacchaeus was probably a lonely man. A hated man. Uh, maybe because of his diminutive stature, he got teased a lot. You know, maybe middle school was rough. I didn't have it back then, but you know, the equivalent of that. Maybe that was rough on him. And maybe being a tax collector was a way of, well, you know what, I'll show them who I am. Well, somehow he hears about Jesus. He doesn't know who he is. He's just heard about him. And he finds out that Jesus is coming through Jericho. And so he says, you know, I think I've got to see this guy. And so what we're going to have here is what what I like to call a, a Jesus encounter. And Zacchaeus is not the only man that needs this encounter. Every single human being needs to have this encounter. And I'm so glad that the story is here for us to see Well, what this encounter looks like. And there's three things about this encounter. And here's the first one, is that most Jesus encounters were interruptions. Okay. Read. I, I, I encourage you to read the Gospels and, and look at Jesus' itinerary. Look at his day. There were things he had to do, places he had to be, and almost every single person that Jesus had an interaction with was an unplanned interruption. Okay? He's just out there teaching, and one day this guy, Jairus, comes up to him and says, My, my daughter is sick. She's sick to the point of death. Master, you've got to come and you've got to come to my home and you've got to heal my daughter. And Jesus is like, Well, I I what I was doing this. Can I get back? No, he says, All right, let's go. You know, he saw the interruption, he said, Let's go with it. And even on the way to Jairus' house to take care of that situation, some woman is crawling through the crowd, grabbing his the hem of his robe. Another interruption. And he even stops to talk to her in the middle of all that. He doesn't say, hey, look, lady, I'm busy. There's a little girl dying over here. I need, I'll need. i come back to you, all right? No, he stops and takes care of her. Interruptions were constantly a part of Jesus' life and ministry. Now, Brian has this, he gave us kind of a purpose statement for this series that we're doing, and it was the idea that, that the purposes for Jesus' coming become our pattern for living and I was thinking about that as I was becoming aware of this this interruption that Zacchaeus was because again Jesus is just passing through that's what the scripture says he's just passing through Jericho apparently they didn't have a good coffee shop so he's just on his way to move on through that now do you know what was on Jesus mind at this point if you look at the context and the rest of the story he is on his way to Jerusalem to die on a cross and knows it Okay, uh, that that would weigh heavily heavily on, upon one's mind, you would think. Um, but you know, I'm standing up here, probably more aware that I have a tooth blown up in my head than I've got people looking at me, and I don't like either of those things. <laughs> you know? um, Jesus is completely focused on his mission and his mission is to come and to die on a cross and while he's doing that there's some there's some nutty tax collector climbing up a tree dangling over him up there in a tree branch and Jesus has to say, get out of there before you kill yourself let's go have lunch a total interruption of what he was doing and then I go back to the thing is if, if is his coming a pattern for my living the reasons for his coming And I think about, how do I handle interruptions? You know, how important is my schedule, my time, my day, my agenda? And then somebody kind of comes along and train wrecks the whole thing. And I might miss out that this was probably an encounter that Christ has put in my path. How often do we miss these encounters because we don't allow ourselves to be interrupted. How often do we maybe miss out on the joy of God doing something crazy in our life and in somebody else's life because we don't like interruptions. So that's one of the first things that pops in here. Okay. We see Zacchaeus at this point of the story. He's curious. He's says, I've got to find out who this Jesus is. I need to know more about him. And, and I think there's reasons for his curiosity. Um, one could be is that Jesus told stories. He told parables. And in one of his most famous parables, stories, he talked about a Pharisee, which not very many people liked, and a tax gatherer, which everybody, you know, hey, the Pharisee's a great guy compared to him. And Jesus talked about their prayer habits. And so now the Pharisee is, God, thank you that I'm awesome. And by the way, did I did I mention to you that I'm awesome? <laughs> and I'm just thankful, God, that I'm awesome and not like this heap of human waste beside me. Okay? Meanwhile, the tax gatherer in Jesus' story won't even look up to heaven. He's he's so humbled, and all he can do is say, Is God have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, Who do you think prayed best there? Who do you think went home? justified there and of course everyone goes well the tax collector you know and Jesus was good at that he was he was good at making the people that nobody liked kind of the hero of the story so to speak and Zacchaeus had probably heard about that story he says I'm going to meet this guy I'm going to meet this guy that would take somebody from my line of work and and tell a story like that or it could have been the fact that Jesus called a lot of people to follow after him and out of those people that were his disciples, he had 12 that were apostles that he was going to give the responsibility of building his kingdom to, and uh, and he had a, quite a hodgepodge collection. He had fishermen, uh, he had religious zealots and political zealots in his bunch there. Um, that probably means that he had Republicans and Democrats in his group, uh, and, and he had Levi, who we know as Matthew. And if you know the story of Levi and Matthew, guess what Matthew's job was? Tax collector. collector. Could you imagine that? I'm going to start a close-knit little group, and we're going to change the world, and I'm going to make sure one of them is a political zealot that hates Rome, and I'm going to make sure the other one is the guy that represents Rome. And then I'm going to tell them love each other. <clears throat> So it could be that, you know, he was in that circle of tax collectors and he says, Levi is following Jesus? I gotta know who this guy is. And you see, that's, that's pertinent to us because every day, you know, Monday through the rest of the week, we are, we are mixing with people and they probably understand something about Jesus and us And they want to know more, and so they're curious. And we have to make the choice of whether or not we're going to allow them to interrupt us. In our work, or in our studies, or in whatever it might be. Because you see, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and then he told us, go and do likewise. Go find them, he said, and point them to me. Because we can't save them, but Jesus can and how are they ever going to know about him unless someone's pointing the way to him? And so we all have that opportunity to be a part of the search and rescue team. The question is, is, are we taking that opportunity? So like I said, each of us sitting here today, we might be Zacchaeus, curious about who Jesus is, lost, not knowing what to do, feeling hated by the world or whatever. Or we could be like Jesus who's... who's Going about what God wants done, or we could be the crowd. Do you notice why Zacchaeus, this short little guy, had to climb a sycamore tree? Because the crowd got in his way. The crowd was in his way of encountering Jesus. So he had to be resourceful and scurry up into a tree. And again, I look at that and I go, I wonder how many times I have been like the crowd. Where I got in somebody's way of knowing who Jesus is. Well, as the story goes on, we see the second part of this encounter, and uh, the second element of this, and, and that is that all of Jesus' encounters involved Jesus finding us. You ever heard that phrase? Hey, have you found Jesus yet? That's a that's an old evangelist phrase. Have you found Jesus? He was under the couch all the time, you know, with a Cheeto. None of us find Jesus. We're told to seek for Him and to, and, and to do with all of our heart, but we are not the finders. The only reason, or the only thing that, that ever happens to these encounters is not us finding Jesus, not the sinner finding, finding a holy Savior, it's a holy Savior coming and finding us. And all through the Bible, you're going to find stories of God looking for people. Remember Adam and Eve? Okay? The first ones to really mess it up? Okay, gave us the pattern. What did God do after they messed up? He went looking for them. He even called out them, even though he knew exactly where they were. He still said, Adam, where are you? Come on. Come on, let's go. There was a woman named Hagar. Hagar was the mother of Ishmael. Now, you've got to go back and read Genesis for this. This is kind of a a, a fouled-up thing, but it's how we work as human beings. God comes to Abraham says, Abraham... I'm gonna give you a child. Abraham's like, I'm too old to have children. God says, well that's okay, you're still gonna have a child. My wife isn't capable of producing children. Abraham, it's me. Okay? You're gonna have a child. And from him is gonna come a savior. Okay? A lot of time went by. This is what happens when God tells us something and we don't like the timetable that he works on. We start thinking of ways, well we've got, and maybe it's up to us. I have to fulfill God's plan here. And that's what Sarah and Abraham did. They sat down, they had a talk. Look, there's no kid coming, so maybe we're supposed to do something. Abraham goes, yeah, but you're not able to, Sarah, you can't produce a child. You're barren. And Sarah goes, well, here's my point. Listen to me. I have a maid. Her name is Hagar. Have relations with her. She will be a surrogate mother for this child that God intends us to have. Abraham's like, okay. And so along comes Ishmael. You know, to this day, Ishmael and Israel, the descendants of Isaac, have been fighting with each other. To this day. All because two people thought they could fulfill God's plan in human means. All right? So, of course that did not go well. Uh, Isaac was eventually born, the promised child eventually came there was some strife between Isaac and Ishmael but there's more strife between Sarah and Hagar she started to get all jealous about this very thing that she came up with this plan that she she concocted and so she said, Abraham you have to send Hagar away her and the child have got to go and so Hagar and and Ishmael get sent off into the desert where they're about to die and, and Hagar's crying and guess what, God comes looking for her He says, look, I'm going to watch over you and I'm going to watch over your son, Ishmael. Even though it's going to be a tough part of of my people's history, he says, I'm going to take care of you. Moses, okay, the great savior of the Hebrews, was a murderer who fled Egypt and went and hid amongst the sheep in Midian. And God came looking for him and said, go back to Egypt, Moses, and get my people out of there. David, nobody even knew what to look for, but God did. He says, I'm going to look for this guy's heart and I'm going to anoint him to be a king. Elijah, the great prophet, started having a pity party for himself because he thought that, that he was the only prophet left and nobody, was, nobody cared about God anymore. So he went and hid in the cave. That made it better. So God came looking for him. Jonah, <laughs> Jonah, go to Nineveh. No, I'll go to Spain, thank you. <laughs> okay. So God went looking for him, sent a fish you know, to be part of that search and rescue team to bring him back on his path to be where he needed to be. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament in the Gospels is in John chapter 9 where Jesus meets a man born blind, another interruption in his life. Okay, in his day. And, and so Jesus heals this blind man. And so this blind man gets pulled in front of the synagogue and all these religious people go, well, who healed you? And he goes, well, I don't know who he was. I'm blind. I didn't see him. <laughs> and, and so they said, well, you know, is it this Jesus guy? And he goes, yeah. And he says, well, this, this guy can't do that. He's a sinner. You know, they didn't like Jesus. So they didn't like this guy. So now that he's associated to Jesus, they're, they're getting real hard on him. And they, they, they said, look, we're gonna, we're gonna throw you out of the synagogue if you're going to proclaim Jesus. And the guy says, well, all I know is I was blind, and all I know is that I can see, and all I know is that Jesus did it. Boom, got kicked out of the synagogue. And I love this. In John chapter 9, it says, and Jesus came looking for him. You know, in a way, Jesus kind of messed up his life by giving him sight. And so he came into that mess and says, hey, let me, let me help you walk through this. Peter. When he denied Jesus Christ, fresh off of his lips, I don't know the man. Jesus went looking for him. Didn't have to go far. All he had to do was stare his way. And Jesus, in his worst moment, God was looking for him. The disciples, after the resurrection, they didn't know where to go look for Jesus. They didn't know if they should go look for Jesus. They, they, they let's go fishing. That's what they said, because most of them are fishermen, you know. This kind of stinks. Jesus died, and we don't know what's going on now, so let's, let's just go back to what we do know, and let's go fishing. And so they're out there fishing. yeah. And all of a sudden, some, some dude out on the beach yells out to them, Hey, have you tried the other side of the boat? And, okay. They go to the other side of the boat, and they start almost sinking their boat. And then Peter's like, Hey, this happened once before. Jesus did this. And, and then they, it, it, there he is. There's Jesus on the beach. He came looking for them. He's always looking for us more than we're ever looking for Him. Right now today, I can guarantee you this, Jesus is looking for you. He's looking for you. And whatever moment you might be in, it could even be Peter's moment, the worst moment possible, where you think, God is done with me, He would never want to even glance my way again. Oh no, He is looking for you. Because you see, that's what He does. In every Jesus encounter, if it's true and it's authentic, has happened because Jesus said, I'm looking for you. Because there's Zacchaeus. He's probably trying to hide up there in that tree. Jesus is walking by. All he wants to do is get through, get through Jericho. Hey, I see you up there, Zacchaeus. Let's go, let's go to your house now. And then there's the crowd. They didn't like that. They didn't like that Jesus invited himself to a tax gatherer's house. This Jesus guy, he can't be all that great if he hangs out with people like that. Oh, have I ever been like the crowd? Have I ever shortchanged somebody having a chance with Jesus? Because I didn't think Jesus would hang out with people like that. Have I ever missed the opportunity to step into somebody's life and actually be a blessing to them? because I thought, man, maybe Jesus would really love to hang out with this person. But instead, I grumbled and got upset about that. That takes us to the third aspect of these encounters, and uh, it's this. A genuine encounter with Jesus results in authentic transformation and joy. What does Zacchaeus do when Jesus basically declared, you and I are one? Because that's what it meant in that culture. If I'm going to sit down at your table with you, And we, we do this every, we're gonna do this in about four days, right? We're gonna sit down with people we probably don't like, and and might even be related to. Okay? And we're gonna leave with the same attitude that we had about them, but back in this day, in Jesus' day, to sit down at somebody's table and and to share a meal with them basically meant that you have just now established a a peace treaty between the two of you, and you are now unified. You are now one. Okay, and that's probably why they, they they didn't like the idea of Jesus being unified with a tax collector, and that's why people grumbled. Alright, so once Zacchaeus, he understood what Jesus was saying to him, he's, Zacchaeus knew that Jesus was saying, Hey man, welcome home. Welcome home, let's go eat and let's go celebrate this. And and so Zacchaeus' response was, Half of what I own, I'm gonna give to charity. Boom! This, this rich man, and earlier Jesus once described how difficult it was for rich people to even get into heaven. said it wasn't totally impossible because with God all things are possible. But but rich people tend to love their, their stuff more than they love Jesus. This guy is changed. He doesn't love his stuff anymore. He's willing to get rid of it. And then on top of that, he says, anybody that I've defrauded and I've cheated, I'll pay him back four times as much. There's no law that required that much other than the law of a changed heart. A law that says, you know, like you were saying here, we don't owe Jesus anything, but here it is, Jesus has given me so much, I can't hold on to all of it, so here, some of you have got to take some of it. That's what it means to walk with Jesus. It's not that I, I have so much to give because I owe Jesus, I just got stuff to give because He's given me more than I can even contain myself. That's a transformed life. And there was joy in that. Jesus tells a lot of parables or a lot of stories about lost things in Luke 15. A lost coin, a lost sheep, a lost son. And he's just making one point out of all these things being lost and then being found again. And that's how much rejoicing occurs when the lost is found. He even goes so far to say that heaven throws uh, quite a whiz-bang party when one sinner comes home. What was the crowd doing here? They didn't say anything. Because you don't have anything to say when you're standing in the presence of someone's life that's been transformed by Jesus Christ. There's nothing that could be to pay. Who cares what they had to say at this point? So let me wrap it up with this. In Isaiah 6, um, Isaiah describes what his lostness looked like. He described his condition when he found himself face to face with God. In Jeremiah chapter 50, God describes His people Israel as lost sheep who had no idea how to return to the fold. Okay, that's that's what it means to be lost. I just I have no idea. Okay, and God got a little upset with Israel in the Old Testament. And Ezekiel gives us a, a, a reason for that. Um, in Ezekiel thirty four four, it says this, uh, it's God coming to the, the so-called shepherds of Israel saying, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought but with force and harshness you ruled them. That was the condition of Israel, which was to represent God to all the nations so that the lost people of all the world could find God and walk in a relationship with Him. And we see that Israel was not doing that. And judgment came upon them. What if today in the New Testament age, the church being like Israel, does not strengthen the weak, does not heal the sick. Does not injure those who, or does not bind up those who have been injured. Uh, who has not brought back those who have strayed. Has not sought the lost. And judgment came upon Israel because they had not sought the lost. What happens to us if we forget that the reason for Jesus coming is the pattern for our living as His followers, and part of that is to seek the lost to seek the lost. All week long, you and I, we're going to be encountering people that are this close to being completely unhinged. And it doesn't matter if they're a street person. It doesn't matter if they're the most prominent doctor in this town. It doesn't matter if we can tell their life's falling apart or, or if it looks like they've got it all together. Every single person's probably this close because they're lost and they're desperate and they don't know which way to go. And all it takes is a is a Matthew in the crowd. Well not this Matthew. A Levi, <laughs> a ta- a former tax collector. All it takes is someone who has tasted the grace of Jesus to give another person a taste of that. That's all it takes. Jesus gave us that pattern. And then it says this. I, I never knew this before. I kept reading Ezekiel 34, and I found verse 16, and, and we get the Christmas story in Ezekiel. You know, the, the, the child born in a manger? Because it's God speaking in Ezekiel thirty-four sixteen when He says, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak, the fat and the strong. I'm going to destroy them. I'm going to feed them with justice. And that's exactly why Jesus came. To find those who are weak, those who are hurting, those who are lonely, those who are hurt, or who are... are, um, uh, uh, just in the worst possible spiritual condition that a person can be in Jesus says I'm here and I'm looking for you and maybe you didn't realize that because I've sent some people to help me in the search and they haven't come to you yet I hope you know and Colby mentioned it that if you're sitting here in this mist, you're sitting around searchers you're sitting around seekers Okay, but even then I want to search more and I want to seek more so, I think we should close with this. The question is, is our Jesus' reasons for coming becoming my pattern for living? Maybe you're like Zacchaeus today, and this is the day that Jesus finds you. That'd be awesome. Or, maybe we just need to say, Jesus, I'm going I'm to join you. I'm going to come looking with you. You found me. You drug me out of my destruction. I want to go help you find others now. What a great way to spend our lives until Jesus comes back. Let's pray. Father, what if that second helicopter had never flown over that Australian ocean? Those guys probably would be without hope. Lord, what if you never came looking for me? Now, I, I would not know the multitude of blessings that that come with a relationship with you. I wouldn't know hope. I wouldn't know peace. I wouldn't know love. I wouldn't know joy. I'd probably know facsimiles of those things, cheap generic facsimiles that break and so easily lost. Lord, if You hadn't found me, I I wouldn't know what You look like. (laughs) And I wouldn't know how to tell other people about You. Father, thank You. As we enter into this season of Thanksgiving this week, we come to You now and we say thank You for not leaving us lost in our desperate places. Thank You for putting on human flesh, for leaving Your throne, thank You for humbling Yourself, for condescending Yourself even so that You could rescue us. Lord, thank You for the cross that Jesus was heading to that day He met Zacchaeus. Because Lord, if He hadn't have finished that journey to the cross, then even Zacchaeus would have been without hope along with the rest of us. So Lord, You've given us so much you've given us so much I pray you find in our hearts today a willingness and a readiness to just give away because we can't handle all that you've given to to us Lord if there's someone in our heart today that is in a tough space, place and they're lost they need help Lord send us to them Or let them come to us and interrupt our day. And may your kingdom increase, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.